And good Sunday morning. Welcome to the latest edition of Sharing the Victory, program sponsored by the WVU chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And uh, it is springtime. Good news, because I don't like winter. How, <laughs> how do you feel about winter? I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. As you get older, uh, snow is just not cool anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly, it says, oh, it's pretty and all this stuff now. Pretty to look at, not fun to drive in. Right, or to deal with. So we are into the spring, and that's uh, Kirby Myers, by the way. He is the campus director of the WVU FCA, and uh, we'll turn it over to you. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much. Great to be back. Good morning to you. Thanks for joining our program this morning. I want to talk today about the absolute authority and sufficiency of the Bible. And so hopefully you have a Bible close by a paper or a physical Bible or on your tablet, on your phone, and I would invite you to turn with me to Psalm 19, Psalm 19. And as you turn there, I want to tell a humorous story. There's a story about a New England teacher who quizzed a group of college-bound juniors and seniors on the Bible. The quiz preceded a Bible as literature class he planned to teach at Newton High School in Massachusetts generally considered one of the better public schools in the nation. Among the most unusual answers from his students were, Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers, and Jezebel was Ahab's donkey. Other students thought that the four horsemen appeared on the Acropolis, that the New Testament Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John, and that Eve was created from an apple, and that Jesus was baptized by Moses." But the answer that looked that took the misinformation prize was given by a fellow who was academically in the top 5% of the graduating class. The question was, what was Golgotha? And the answer he gave was, Golgotha was the name of the giant who slew the apostle David. <laughs> well, how well would you do on a Bible quiz and how well do you know your Bible? Unfortunately today, in Christian homes and Christian schools and colleges and even many churches are full of people who do not know their Bibles. I love college kids. Uh, I really, my relationship with the Lord went to another level when I was at University of Indianapolis as a college student. I worked with college students in Danville, Illinois, in Bellingham, Washington, at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland for seven years, and now I'm here at WVU doing campus ministry through FCA. And my goal as the campus director there is to get the Word of God into the hearts of our athletes and our coaches so that they can know and glorify God, so that they would be changed and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. My first day of seminary at the Master Seminary, January 1998, first day of classes, we had chapel service, and there was a pastor named Scott Ardvanis. He was pastoring in Chicago at that time, and I'll never forget what he told us young, 300 or so aspiring pastors that were in chapel that day. He said, men, the greatest thing you can do for your people is to preach the Word of God to them. I wrote that down, and I've never forgot that. Martin Luther once said that the highest form of worship is the preaching of God's Word. And if that is true, what a great privilege I have as I get to explain the Word of God to you again this morning. It is also an awesome responsibility. 
In James chapter 3, verse 1, James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And so I know that God will judge me on my teaching and my preaching, my motives, my content, truth versus error. And so we come this morning to Psalm 19, a psalm of David. It's a psalm about the work of God, as we see in verses 1 through 6, creation. And it is also a psalm about the Word of God, as we see in verses 7 to 14. And I thought it would be good for us to take some time and look at this psalm carefully together. So let me read Psalm 19, and I'll read verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you have paper and a pen and you're able to, I'd love for you to write some things down today. We're going to look at six descriptions of the Word of God, six results of the Word of God, and then finally, five benefits from the Word of God. It sounds like a lot, but it will go quickly. First of all, we see that the law of the Lord is perfect. And so here is the first description of the Word. The psalmist, David, uses the word law. In Hebrew, it's the Torah. Perhaps you've heard that word, but it's not just referring to the law of Moses or the Pentateuch. It is all of the instruction of the Lord. And David says that God's instruction is perfect. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. It lacks nothing. And the meaning here is the perfection of something being whole. And and so we see here that the word of God is whole and complete. There is no need of further revelation. I remember when I was in seminary hearing about a pastor in Southern California who said that Jesus would appear to him while he was shaving. (laughs) Not sure about that one, but we don't need that. God has given us all that we need. Scripture is sufficient. The canon is closed. And the last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation, written in around 95 AD. There is no more revelation. There is not another testament of Jesus Christ. In fact, in Revelation 22, 18 to 19, we read these very important words. I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. We don't need any more revelation, friends, because in the book of Genesis, it begins with, in the beginning, and at the end of Revelation, it says, and they shall reign forever. 
The Bible is an epic of history. It has everything we need for life and godliness. Well, what is the result of the law or the instruction of the Lord? David says here that it restores the soul or converts the soul or revives the soul. The Word of God by itself can convert an unbeliever. So really, the Word of God is all that we need in evangelism when we share the gospel with someone else. Give someone a Bible. That's the best thing you could give to an unbeliever. We don't need books to prove that God exists. Those are helpful, but we don't need to find Noah's Ark. We don't need the Shroud of Turin or even the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Word of God alone has the power to save. It converts and it transforms the whole inner person. And so the Word of God is all that we need for salvation and for sanctification. The question is, do we trust it? Number two, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Here's our second description of the word. It's the word testimony, and it is God's personal testimony, his word. Sometimes at FCA, we will have a a WVU student athlete give a testimony of how they came to know Christ or something that God is doing in their life. The Bible is God's personal testimony. It is his word, and David says that it is sure It is reliable. It is trustworthy. Um, Some of you may remember the show Perry Mason. That was a show that my dad liked to watch. And when I would work in the summertime, I would come home at lunch and he would be watching that show. And and you watch these witnesses take the stand in the courtroom and you always had to wonder, are they telling the truth? Can they be trusted? Well, it's not that way with God's word because God's word is sure. It is trustworthy. We have a God who cannot lie, and his promises are sure to come true. Well, what is the result of the testimony of the Lord? It says, David says, making wise the simple. The Bible makes simple people wise. Someone who is simple lacks discernment and accepts everything that might have the word Christian labeled uh, on that label. But A person who sets under the word will be discerning. A simple person will become wise. The word of God enters the heart of that type of person and makes them wise. And the word wise here means skilled for living, where you are able to make wise decisions. Number three, the statutes of the Lord are right. So here's the third description of the word of God, statutes or the precepts of the Lord or his orders, his charges, the decrees of the Lord. And David says, they are right. They are upright. They lead you toward the right direction or the right path as opposed to the wrong path. Psalm 119, 105, a verse that you've probably heard many times where the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, what are the results of these statues, these statues of the Lord? David says they rejoice the heart. Do you want to have peace in your life? I think so many people today are looking for peace. We're looking for peace in our world. Do you want to have peace in your life? Do you want to have joy in the Christian life? Peace and joy come when you do what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Read Romans chapter 7, because there you will see that the Apostle Paul is disgusted with himself, because what he wanted to do, obey God, he found himself not doing. The statutes of the Lord rejoice the heart, and there is great joy in doing what is right. And friends, and I love to tell young people this, there is nothing better than living for Jesus Christ, nothing Sin makes you miserable. It might uh, bring pleasure for a moment, but it will leave you empty. But obedience brings joy and great peace. Number four, the fourth description here is the commandment of the Lord, the mandates of the Lord, the will of the Lord. We talked about this a few, few weeks ago. What is God's will for my life? God's will is that you obey his commands, and that is where his will for your life is revealed. David says that the commands of the Lord are pure or clear, lucid. Well, what are the results of his commands? He says they enlighten the eyes. They enlighten the dark places, the darkest of the dark places. If you've ever used your light on your phone, uh, like on an iPhone, man, that play, that that light will light up the darkness. It's amazing. His commands allow me to see clearly and to choose rightly, to choose light over darkness. The NIV says here that it the commandment of the Lord gives insight to life. Do you need wisdom? Do you need counsel? Well, there's good news this morning. You don't have to depend on Oprah or Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz, perhaps maybe Senator Oz one of these days. You can look to the Word of God. James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Number five, the fifth description of the Word of God, David says, The fear of the Lord is clean. Fear of the Lord, fear or reverence. Fear is not technically a word for God's Word, but it reflects the reality that Scripture is the manual for worship of a holy God. And the fear of the Lord is clean, it is pure. This is similar to the description of the commandments of the Lord. Well, what is the result of this, the fear of the Lord? We see that it endures forever. And just a reminder on this Sunday morning, there are two things going into heaven, and one of them is not your money or your house or your sports car, two things going into eternity, and that is the souls of men and the Word of God. The Word of God is everlasting. It is unstained. It is so pure that it endures for all generations. Number six, the sixth description here, the judgments of the Lord are true. Judgments, the laws of the Lord, the verdicts of the divine judge, which he has proclaimed from his royal and holy throne. David says they are true. They are reliable. You can count on them. Well, what are the results of his judgments? David says they are righteous altogether, or they produce righteousness. They perfect the whole person, and they result in righteous and holy living. I think I may have mentioned this a couple times ago when we were together, but 
uh, a linebacker at University of Illinois when I was doing FCA in the Illinois area was a new believer and someone had given him a Bible and wrote this at the front of his Bible that said, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And which will that be for you and which will it be for me? When I was in college and I was a freshman and even my sophomore year, my junior year, as I met incoming freshmen coming to our school, I was president of FCA at our college for three years, and I met these young people who identified as Christians. They were professing believers, and they had told me that they had never drunk alcohol, they had never done drugs, they had never had sex before marriage. But within a few weeks, so many of those young people gave that all away. And that happened when they got away from, from their Christian home where they, were, where they grew up when they got away from the church, and when they got out of the Word of God. So David here gives us six descriptions of the Word of God, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the judgments of the Lord. And then he gives us six results of the Word of God, The Word of God converts or restores. The Word of God makes the the simple person wise. The Word of God rejoices the heart. The Word of God enlightens the eyes. The Word of God endures forever. And the Word produces righteousness. And if these things were not enough, we next see that there are actually five benefits of the Word of God. And this is really my, my favorite part of Psalm 19. Five things, five benefits from reading and knowing the Word of God. Number one, we see that the Word of God is our greatest possession. Look again in verse 10 at what David says here. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. The Word of God is more desirable than gold. And David adds to that much more than fine gold, real, valuable gold. How is that possible? Well, the Word of God is immaterial. It is important in a sense. Gold is material. It does not last forever, and it cannot be taken with you. I'm sure you've heard of the Egyptians and how when they were buried, they were buried with their treasures, hoping to take those with them into the afterlife. But we know that we can take nothing with us. Howard Hughes, that multimillionaire, someone asked when he died, how much did he leave? And the answer given was all of it. He left it all behind. The word of God endures forever. It is more precious than any other thing. And if you were the poorest man or woman in the world, and you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you had a copy of the Holy Scriptures, you would be more rich than the world's wealthiest man who did not have God's Word. So the Word of God is our greatest possession. Number two, the Word of God is our greatest pleasure. Back in verse 10, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. And then he says, Sweeter also than honey and drippings, of the honeycomb. The Word of God is our greater, greatest pleasure. It is sweeter than honey, sweeter than the honeycomb. It is sweet to the taste. Uh, John the Baptist, we've looked at his life a little bit 
on this program, and and John the Baptist, we know that his his diet was locusts and wild honey, and the wor- the honey must have tasted so good to him. It was sweet, something he desired. The word of God is good. Psalm thirty four eight says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." And so I come to the word, and I eat, and I drink, and I am filled, and I am satisfied with the treasures that are found inside. Number three, we see the Word of God is our greatest protector. It's our greatest protector. In verse 11, David says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. By them your servant is warned. And so the Word of God serves as a warning to us. It serves as a warning to us. It's like a red light. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before. It happened to me one time where I got on the wrong exit ramp and you see a red sign that says wrong way. (laughs) That's the word you need to see in that time. You don't need a sign that says you stupid idiot. It says wrong way because it's a correction. It needs to tell you if you keep going this way, you will be killed. And the Word of God serves as a warning to us. It's like a red light. It keeps us from false doctrine. It keeps us from sin and destruction. It protects us from God's discipline, His chastening because of our disobedience to Him. And it protects us from the devil and his evil schemes. Number four, we see that the Word of God is our greatest provider. Again, in verse 11, he says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There's great reward in the present to know that what you are doing is pleasing to God, that God is being glorified in and through my life. But there is also the hope of future reward, the hope of hearing from Jesus himself, Well done, good and faithful servant, Enter into the joy of your reward. There is the hope of of rewards, of crowns. The Bible talks about different crowns that will be given to those who were faithful. And number five, the fifth benefit of the Word of God, we see that the Word of God is our greatest purifier. And this comes from verses 12 and 13. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And so the word of God purifies me. It enables me to live a holy life. God's word is his holy standard, and it shines the light on the sin in my life and in my heart and keeps me from further sin. And so we see here that the Word of God is our greatest possession, it's our greatest pleasure, it's our greatest protector, it's our greatest provider, and it is our greatest purifier. The Word of God is also our absolute authority. It is sufficient for all things. It is all that is needed for life and for godliness. You know, when you think about the Bible and the treasure that is found within 66 books written by 40 different men over 1,500 years with one central theme, and that is salvation in the Messiah, salvation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you think about the Bible and how it has has stood the test of time, 
and the authority, the breadth of authority that is found in the Word of God, it is absolutely phenomenal. I can turn to the Bible and look at a book like Proverbs and learn how to manage my finances, how to be a good steward of the money that God has given me. As we talked about on this program a few weeks ago, I can find out how to know God's will for my life. God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to live? How can I be pleasing to you? The Bible talks about how to find a mate. What should I look for in a wife? What should I look for in a husband? It also tells a man how he is to treat his wife, how he is to love her, and how a wife is to treat her her husband. And, And that would have application for those men who, young men who have a girlfriend and those young ladies who have a boyfriend, how they should conduct themselves in those relationships. The Bible tells you how to raise children and how to raise godly children, how to train them up in the way of the Lord so that they would follow after Christ. It also tells us how to confront a brother in sin. And so the Word of God is our standard. It is the rod by which everything else must be measured. And so when I hear a preacher or I read a Christian book, I need to make sure that it lines up with God's Word and that it is not contrary to it. So the Word of God is our final authority, not a church or a denomination, not a church tradition or church councils, not a creed or a constitution, and not me or any other man on this earth. We must be like the Bereans, who we read about in the book of Acts, when they heard the Apostle Paul speak in the synagogue, they went home and examined the scriptures to be sure that what he said was true. And you and I must be this way. We must be this way. You must be this way with every preacher that you hear on the radio or see on television or any pastor you listen to their podcast. You must be this way with every author that you read, whether that's a a book or a devotional. You must be this way with your senior pastor, your associate pastor, your college pastor, your youth pastor. And you must be this way with me every time you listen to this program, that I am communicating the truth of God's Word and nothing more and nothing less. Years ago, I started the church where I pastored for 12 years in Indiana, and my parents lived about an hour away, and so they would come and visit us maybe once a month or so. And um, my dad was a believer. He's with the Lord in heaven now, and I asked him to, to conclude the service in prayer. And my dad actually came up, and he prayed for our church, and he prayed for me, and uh, that our church would would grow and succeed. And he actually play, prayed, Lord, if Kirby ever stops preaching your word, just take him out. <laughs> take him out from this church. And I remember hearing him say that, and it, it was quite funny, but I really appreciated that that was his prayer for me, that if I ever stopped preaching the word of God, that the Lord would remove me. You know, it is good to listen to preaching, It is good to read Christian books, but I think the majority of our time should be in God's Word because the Word of God is perfect, it is trustworthy, it is right, it is pure, it is clean, and it is true. Why would we not want to get in it each and every day? So in conclusion, what does God's Word mean to you? Is it your greatest possession? Is it your greatest pleasure? Is it your greatest provider? And is it your final authority? 
Well, may God give us a love for his holy word and the desire to do what it says. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 19, this beautiful psalm about the work of God and the word of God. Lord, may we see um, all the results that are found in this passage about what the word of God does for us and the benefits of being in your word on a daily basis. Help us to love your word, to treasure your word, and to obey your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, this is Sharing the Victory. You've been listening to Kirby Myers, campus director of the WVU FCA. And uh, we appreciate you listening today. And, of course, you can go to the website, wvufca.org, to learn more and uh, to contribute as well and uh, learn more about the organization with Kirby. Thanks. We appreciate it. Great work as usual. And uh, Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. This is Sharing the Victory on this Sunday morning with the WVU FCA, 104.5 FM, 1440 AM, WAJR.